Welcome to Thrive Radio, expert visionary and innovative business, life, and relationship advice to live a life of doing the impossible with your host, Amy Montgomery. This is episode number 26 with Carolyn Ferguson. Welcome to Thrive Radio. I'm your host, Amy Montgomery, entrepreneur and business coach, and I've decided to bring on other successful entrepreneurs to share their story and how they're helping others to do the impossible. My guest today, Carolyn, is a mindset trainer for entrepreneurs who feel stuck. She says it's time to stop blaming circumstances and accept the real reason why you're not doing and being. Half of what you're capable of is you. Welcome, Carolyn. Thank you very much, Amy. Good to be here. I'm so excited to have you on today because your topic is a very deep topic and very, very interesting. And uh, you started in business communications and you're wanting to help others and that pulled you into where you are today. What was that defining moment where you started to go from business to therapy? Well, I had been working in communications for many years and I was always as a freelancer or a contractor because I used to go and do six months, nine months, a year's worth of work. And then I would take six months off to go and be a screenwriter. That was kind of my big uh, dream gig at that point. And then I would run out of money and not to make a great success of screenwriting and I would have to go back to work. So this was kind of like Groundhog Day for me. You know, I kept doing this for years. And then one particular client that I was going back to over and over again, when they had their third change of leadership in the main money-making part of the business, the third change of leadership in 20 months, I wasn't directly communicating for each of those teams, but I was very much associated with some of the key projects that were going on at the time. And when I saw just the devastation that was happening with this constant open door of leaders coming and going, and the impact that that had on employees, I just thought, what am I doing here? You know, the major shareholder was giving each team six months to turn around this gigantic business. And you can't you can't turn a business of that size in six months. So we had this succession of terrified leadership teams and a lot of terrified employees, because every time they change leaders, you know, they have a reorganization and then they would get rid of people. And it, it was just exhausting and stressful for everybody. And the third time it happened in, in just over a year and a half, I thought, I can't keep doing this I can't keep working for organizations in this way because I realized that the people who were communicating on behalf of the leadership teams their work was so disposable it was so temporary there was no legacy to what we were doing and all my life you know really from being a very tiny child I just had this feeling that I was born for something more there needed to be something more and I certainly wasn't getting that more in the work that I was doing. So I woke up on a very big birthday, just around the same time as all this was happening. And I thought, right, the second half has got to be about that more. It has to be about the value that I can deliver that has real legacy and about the value I can receive from that delivering. So for me, that was the kind of key moment one of those big birthdays with a zero in it. And I didn't at that point know what it was going to look like. I just knew it had to be somehow about delivering value that had some legacy to it, some lasting value. And within about three months, my mind had kind of <laughs> gathered all the clues and provided me with a solution, which was to retrain as a cognitive behavioral hypnotherapist. And from the first second that that idea came into my head, 
there was never a moment's doubt. And at that age, to go back to school for two years was quite a big deal, really. How um, old were you then? I was 50. Oh, wow. So yeah. This was seven, seven years ago. Yeah. But I didn't have a moment's doubt. And so I went back and retrained and, and have never, never for one second regretted that decision. It was certain, it was just the best thing I've ever done, both personally in terms of my own development, but also in terms of the work that I now do, that I help people to really get past their own blocks and be who they can be and discover the more that they're capable of. That's amazing. So what would you say is the most difficult decision you have had to make to fulfill your destiny? Well, the decision itself was the, I was about to say the easy part, although it took me a long time to make that decision. Um, (laughs) The decision itself wasn't difficult. I think what was difficult was knowing that I had to continue working in the corporate zone while I was retraining. You know, I was desperate to leave that and go off and make my difference. But I had to (laughs) cool my jets really for a couple of years while I was retraining because I had to obviously earn a living while that was going on. So I found that was a frustrating time for me. But actually, within my training, I learned the tools to be able to cope with that, to be able to tolerate that difficulty. You know, I say to my clients quite often, tolerate the discomfort, because that's how you stretch your comfort zone. So it wasn't so much a difficult decision as that two years, knowing what I really wanted to go off and do, but having to just bide my time and continue doing the corporate work. That was a little bit tricky for me at the time, but you know, it passed. (laughs) So the transition that you went, you then got your education portion done and you went into therapy. And then how did you narrow it down to, I want to help people, you know, identify and break through these limiting beliefs and how you would answer that problem? Well, I think I realized quite early on in my therapy career that I wasn't going to be the world's best therapist. I think that being, I'm what they call a highly sensitive person, and I'm sure we'll go on to discuss that a bit more. But when you are highly intuitive and empathic, you do pick up on other people's emotions and moods. And I realized that spending all my time with deeply depressed or anxious people probably wasn't going to do me a great deal of good. And if it wasn't going to do me good, I couldn't be the best help. And I realized quite early on that actually the people I was massively drawn to were those who were who had extraordinary potential, but somehow were a bit stuck. You know, they had this friction. They weren't being their more, you know, that more that you know you were born to be. They weren't somehow achieving that more, even though they knew it, they were capable of it. So I realized that, that I had a lot more resonance with that. I was excited by the idea of working with those people and helping those people to be everything they could be, rather than helping people to recover from you know, from emotional injury or emotional illness. So it was something that arrived quite early. I just didn't quite know how to do it. So I kind of made it up, you know. (laughs) Now there are plenty of mindset coaches out there, but five, six years ago, they weren't quite so, you know, so numerous. So I just kind of started and made it up as I went along and pretty quickly started working with entrepreneurial women who were, you know, the people of my heart. So so it, it was slightly organic. But I did feel this, definitely this inner drive to go down that path. Yeah. So let's talk about the highly sensitive type of person. What what is a highly sensitive person and what are sensitive upstarts? Well, when I was training, we did from very early on, we were working with each other. We were actually practicing as therapists. And 
in one of the exercises, I got a little bit emotional, as I'm wont to do. I wear my heart on my sleeve and my emotions are fairly rapid. They're quite quick to come to the surface. And our tutor said to the class I was in, I'm sure Caroline won't mind me saying, but she's a textbook HSP. And I said, what's an HSP? And she said, a highly sensitive person. And I will admit that instantly I felt a bit of judgment. And I heard this little voice in my head go, ooh, highly sensitive person. (laughs) But the second time somebody said this to me, I thought, right, okay, this is obviously a thing, a real thing. I need to go and look it up and stop being so cynical. So I did go and look it up. And I came across Dr. Elaine Aaron, who's a clinical and research psychologist. And she and her team came up with the term highly sensitive person in the 1990s after they had discovered, they did a load of research and discovered that one in five people, 15 to 20% of the population has this genetic characteristic of high sensory processing sensitivity. And that basically all of us humans, you know, we're all on this scale, the sensitivity scale in terms of how responsive we are to our environment. But there's a group of us, 20% of humans who are up close to the top. And they've actually found this characteristic in over 100 different animal species. So it's not just us. And the fact that there's so many of us means that it's an evolutionary imperative, because if we were all warriors, we'd all be dead. So I really started to get very interested in this characteristic. You know, if there were one in five of us has this. There has to be a purpose to it. And it's not something that's particularly valued in the West, sensitivity. You know, it's not a particularly sexy characteristic, being emotionally responsive, but there are amazing gifts that come with it. Observation, we notice everything at a a much greater level of detail. We process that information, very reflective, we process it in a very deep way. We're great at uh, noticing subtle patterns and we look at people's behaviour And we're able to pick up on things that perhaps others who are less sensitive just don't pick up on, like when somebody is lying or when somebody is hurt, you know, and hiding it. We're we're able to sense that with our empathy and our intuition. We're great problem solvers. We tend to be quite good, good imaginative, creative thinkers as well. So there are all these amazing gifts and I call them superpowers, but it comes with this kind of kryptonite for us of overwhelm this tendency to become overstimulated simply because we are processing all of this information at such a level of depth that we get full up our level of tolerance kind of gets full up more quickly than it does for non-sensitive people so what the world tends to see is that we are emotionally open and sensitive and that we we tend to get overstimulated and overwhelmed when there's a lot going on but there's so much more to it than that. So my mission in life at the moment really is to be working with highly sensitive entrepreneurs to help them to manage that downside while really exploring and using these amazing gifts that we've been given. So those are the HSPs, the highly sensitive persons. And actually, Elaine Aaron has a self-test on her website, which is hsperson.com. There's a self-test that you can take to find out whether you are one of the highly sensitive persons. And the upstart bit, sensitive upstarts is a term that I've created because at the moment there isn't a human category that really describes this properly. Sensitive upstarts, for me, are people who combine that quality, that characteristic of being a highly sensitive person, with a different character trait, which is known as high sensation seeking. And high sensation seeking is much more valued in the West. You know, at its extreme, it's thrill seeking, it's the adventurous spirit. But for most of the sort of normal population, high sensation seeking shows up as constantly seeking new 
stimulations, constantly looking for varied experiences, intense experiences. So it's that constant drive, if you like, forward to experience new things. And when you are both highly sensitive and a sensation seeker, that can create an inattention between the part of you that likes to have a calmer life, not to be overstimulated, and the part of you that seeks out that newness and that stimulation. And one of the ways in which it can reveal itself is in what I call squirrel chasing, you know, shiny object syndrome, always looking for the next new thing. And that is because as a sensation seeker, we have these deep fascinations on things where we want to go and learn everything about something, buy all the equipment, do it intensely. So for me, motorbikes, diving, for example, have been two of my deep and intense fascinations. And then we get to a point where we think, right, I've done that now and I've got this urge to go and do something new. So if you're an entrepreneur, if you're in business and you constantly have this desire to go and learn new things, it can mean that the things you've already taken on don't get completed don't get finished or you're not as successful at them as you could be because you've moved on to the next thing. And I think that when we realise that that's who we are, we can stop beating ourselves up for leaving things behind and perhaps not being as successful as we want and constantly moving on to the next shiny thing. We can forgive ourselves because actually what we can do is start to design a job or a career or a life or a business that enables us to have that newness and that stimulation and that variety and that novelty built into it. So for example, a career might be a project manager or a consultant would be a good career for a sensation seeker because they would be constantly having new projects or new clients to deal with, new problems to solve. When you're working in your own business, you know, you need to be able to look at what it is you're doing and find new ways to do it or find new clients or find new projects to work with, but something that will keep that concentration and that excitement level going, because otherwise we're likely to just drop it and leave it behind and move on to the next thing. So I think self-awareness for me is the number one mindset skill. When you realise that you're highly sensitive or a sensation seeker or both, and I call them sensitive upstarts, when you realise that's who you are, you can start designing a life that suits you. You know, you can stop apologizing for the way that you are and really start accepting and embracing the strengths, the superpowers that you have and learning how to manage the downsides. Yeah, that's the sensitive upstart. And there's actually a test on Elaine Aron's website for high sensation seeking as well. So people can go there and find out whether they're one uh, sensitive or sensation seeker or both, in which case, welcome to the world of sensitive upstarts. (laughs) I absolutely love that because... You know, I think I am very sensation seeking. Yes, I think you are. (laughs) And I think about even what I've built online. I started with just life coaching, NLP and that sort of thing. And just mindset and, you know, Tony Robbins type stuff. And then I found a problem to solve. And that was Amazon FBA. And so then I Uh went through, solved that problem and did videos recording myself solving it all. And that took off and went viral and everybody wanted me to help them do the same thing. And then once I was done solving that problem, I'm like, okay, I've given you all of my solutions. I've packaged them up. I put them in courses and now I'm going to solve some more problems. And now I've kind of shifted a little bit of, okay, you know, I've kept that connection of, okay, selling stuff online, but I've veered more towards how can you just sell stuff online and build your business and use social media and all that kind of Mm -hmm. stuff. So I've tried Mm -hmm. to keep a connection. So Mm -hmm. I'm not going off on a totally different thing, you know, and I am doing a little bit around the mindset of wealth and all of that through the Napoleon Hill stuff, but 
still, you know, try to stay focused, but I I need new problems to solve. So once I solve it and I package it up, then it's like, okay, well, that problem is now solved. (laughs) So I so identify with that 100%. And, and I think that when we understand that that's who we are, we can be much more conscious and deliberate about it. And the other thing is quite often we find that the things are deep fascinations. There are themes that link them. You know, there are aspects of them that are similar. And it's about looking at those themes because in those themes, I think we find our purpose. When I'm working with clients, you know, this whole thing of purpose is so current has been current for the last couple of years and people get very wound up about it it's like oh my god am I only supposed to choose one you know suppose I don't feel it suppose I don't feel as if I have a life purpose what am I supposed to do then does that mean I'm a failure am I not good enough or maybe I have suppose I have lots of different purposes and I say to them let's step away from that word because it's it's loaded you know it's it's (laughs) loaded with importance and and it just feels just too big so I say to them what's the impact that you'd like to make and who would you like to make that impact on? So tomorrow, if you were going to go out and, and have an impact on somebody that was positive, what would that impact be and who would it be? And they say, oh, well, I'd really like, you know, I've, I've been working with this couple of hairdressers recently and helping them to, to work out what their business is. And I say, OK, so an impact that you'd like to do is, is helping people who've got, you know, perhaps beauty businesses to grow. The, oh, yeah, I hadn't really thought of it like that. And, and then what I tend to find is, that people's impacts, the impacts they want to make in the different areas of their lives, because they might have an impact with their family, might have one on their social circles, they might have one in their business, might have one from a charity point of view. If you took a look, those impacts all tend to have similar themes. And I think that those bigger themes are the purpose. The work that you've been doing, if you look at it thematically in terms of the impact, there will be a theme there. Yeah. And that's the more that you were born to do. Yeah, that's, you know, and I can identify that it's the innovative visionary in me. And that's across the board where if in an individual's life, if they tell me what their dream and what their purpose is, I'm going to help them get there. Mm-hmm. If mm-hmm. it's a business that's coming to me and maybe they're, you know, they're small, maybe they're not, don't have an online presence. Maybe they're struggling with bringing finances in. I'm going to make sure they succeed and I can solve all the problems. And it's because that vision And those innovative ideas that they're not thinking about, that I want to give them all the new information so they can succeed and fix all the problems because it's all about that vision and where we're going. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) I love that certainty. I love that certainty with which you say that. It's got wonderful energy behind it. Yeah, it makes me excited to, you know, even think about everything that you're saying. And I'm sure that people are listening and being able to connect some of the same dots. Mm -hmm. So what are some of the misdiagnoses of highly sensitive people and how do people figure out if this really applies to them or what are some of the key things? Well, to answer the end bit first is if you want to know whether you're highly sensitive, go and do the self-test on hsperson.com. You know, that is the burn-tested questionnaire. It's been used in so many research projects and it's kind of the established way. And it's very quick. It takes a couple of minutes. There's also one for children if you think you have a highly sensitive child. And, you know, with so many, one in five, everybody is either, you know, partnered with one or a parent to one or the boss of one or whatever. You you will have highly sensitive people in your life. And, and actually, they'll they'll be adding value to your life because they're generally, you know, they're good people to be around. They pay attention to you. So go and find out whether you are by doing the self-test there, hsperson.com. 
And then in terms of misdiagnosis, I get lots of people saying to me, isn't that the same as Asperger's or isn't that the same as autism? No, there are, I can understand why they say that because some people who are kind of neurologically different do have high environmental sensitivity, but sensory processing sensitivity, which is highly sensitive person, is not a disorder. It is a genetic characteristic It shows up in functional MRI scans in the brain, brain that's actually worked differently. They process information in a different way. So it shows up in MRI scans. They've now discovered that that it's actually got this genetic footprint as well, they believe, uh, in that it shows up in the, I think it's the, the serotonin transporter gene has a short allele. So, so it's actually, it's a physical characteristic. It's not a disorder. There are plenty of personality disorders out there that include high environmental sensitivity as a component, but sensory processing sensitivity or highly sensitive person is not a disorder. It is this, how should we put it, as I say, this evolutionary imperative. It's this survival, it's a human survival strategy. And in fact, it's an animal survival strategy that you have some people in your tribe who were conscientious, who were creative, who were caring, who were empathic, who were intuitive, who could who could tell from people's behavior how they were thinking and what they might be able to do. You needed those people because for so much of human evolution, life has been very dangerous. You know, the terrain, the, the environment, the weather, the animals and, and each other. Uh, there were so many dangers that we needed people who had that ability to notice and spot subtleties in terms of behavior you know we needed those people and we're still here you know the fifth of us on the planet have got this characteristic so it's it's still valuable we're still evolving and it's still a valuable characteristic and i think if anybody is concerned that for example they have a child or a partner who might have a disorder they might be so sensitive that they have a disorder then i would suggest that they need to go and and check with a health professional about whether that is the case and whether there's any support that they can get with that. Because I think that really being highly sensitive, there's no doubt about it that there's it is a gift, but it definitely comes with with its its downsides when there's an awful lot going on. For example, I've got lots of deadlines, people are asking me lots of questions. I don't always behave very well, <laughs> especially if I'm tired or upset or ill to start with. You know, I can get overwhelmed, I can get overstimulated, and then you just need to take time out, go and recover by yourself. But it's not specifically an introvert characteristic, because that's the other thing that quite often people say, oh well they're the same as introverts. No, because 30% of HSPs are extroverts. You know, that, that means 70% of us are introverted. I'm a social introvert, uh, but, you know, we need recovery time. When we're overstimulated, we need recovery time. We're also called neurotic. We're called shy. We're called hypersensitive. We're called thin-skinned. You know, there are all sorts of descriptions for highly sensitive people that are not particularly complimentary. But essentially what it comes down to is that we notice and process everything at a greater level of intensity than the other percentage of the population and it's normal this isn't a disorder that needs to be fixed yeah that's really good so how has your program and your coaching helped others well I do as I say I do quite a lot of work with entrepreneurial women but they're now sending me their husbands and their brothers and their, their men folk to help as well I think that essentially what I do is I help them to understand the stories they're telling themselves so I think, as I mentioned earlier, I think that self-awareness is the number one mindset skill. And there was some research last year, I think, um, or the year before, which 
said that 93% of people who were polled said they believed they were self-aware, but actually the true figure was about 11%. It was really low. So it's not a natural skill we have. We all have, what, I think 20 to 70,000 thoughts a day going through our heads. That's a huge number of thoughts. And if we were listening to all of those, we'd go crazy quite quickly. So the key to self-awareness, which is essentially being able to hear the stories, is knowing when to tune in. And I call it our inner radio. It's broadcasting this stuff all day, every day. This stream of consciousness is verbal. And the key is knowing when to tune in. And that is when we feel out of emotional equilibrium. So when we feel wound up or disturbed or upset or angry or jealous or ashamed or guilty or depressed or anything other than neutral or positive, when we feel like that, that's the time to listen to the radio and say, okay, what station am I playing here? You know, what story is being told on this radio station right now? Because the beliefs that we hold, the stories that we tell ourselves, the thoughts that we have are what lead us to feel. So our emotions will follow our stories. So if we've got a story in which we're, well, that shouldn't have happened. I'm outraged. That's really annoying. So for example, my eBay account was hacked yesterday and I allowed myself (laughs) 10 minutes of kind of irrational rage, (laughs) really, really annoyed about it. And then I eventually thought, okay, Right. What's the story here? Story is this must not have happened. Um, How dare they? I want to kill them. You know, I was just furious. Um, Took up all my morning to sort it out. But actually, those stories were leading me to feel furious, frustrated, you know, just outraged. And when I eventually changed the story to, okay, this stuff has happened accept that it's happened. Now, what does a good outcome look like and what action can I take to make that outcome happen? Right, a good outcome would be this never happening again. So what do I do? Right, I will secure my account with two-factor authentication. And then immediately the rage dies down because I've identified what good looks like and I've taken steps to achieve good. I've put myself back in my own driving seat. So that's what I help people with. So it's a little bit of a long-winded way to say, I help people to become self-aware, to be able to hear the stories that are making them stuck, that are creating friction and resistance for them. One of my clients refers to it as the brakes are rubbing on her bicycle. You know, she's trying to ride up that hill and her brakes are stuck and they're creating that, that rubbing, that friction. So what by understanding what's going on in your head, you can change the story. We can rewrite the ending or the middle, you know, act two or whatever, anytime we want we can change that story. And when we change the story, we change the consequences in terms of how we feel and how we behave. So I think that that is the main thing. I help my clients to dig out the stories that are holding them back. And then I show them how to rewrite those stories so that they can feel and behave and think in a much more healthy, resilient, flexible, adaptable and constructive way. I don't talk about positive thinking because I think relentless Positive thinking is probably as unhealthy as relentless negative thinking because the world doesn't work like that. You know, the world delivers challenges to us. So what I talk about is constructive thinking and the fact that we are able to get back behind that wheel and take control because the only thing we can take charge of is ourselves. We can't control what goes on around us. You know, we can try and influence it, but we can't control it. So when we learn how to manage ourselves in any situation, understanding that we can change the way we think about it changes the outcome. So that's really the work that I do with individual clients. 
Okay, that's great. <laughs> um, if you were able to give yourself one piece of advice when you first started out as an entrepreneur, what would it be? The advice I would give to myself is you don't need to know everything. You don't have to have everything ready. You don't have to buy every program. You know, you don't have to swamp yourself with detail in order to get started. You just need to have some faith in what you know and take those first steps to get yourself out there and really to start building a community by consistently showing up and delivering value. Because I went through, oh my goodness, you know, I bought every book, I have bought every course, I have just completely overwhelmed myself with the sheer amount of detail and constantly rubbing in how much I didn't know. And that is a reflection on the fact that one of the strong drivers in my life at that point, one of the stories I was telling myself was that I had this need for certainty. And I have a piece of work that I do for my clients that I call Paces. And Paces is, is just this really core piece. And it's a very simple piece. But Paces is the five main ways in which we as humans wind ourselves up, get ourselves into trouble. And uh, it's a, uh, shall I just very quickly talk through that? Yes, please do. Okay, so um, it's quite easy to remember. P stands for perfectionism. And that's about really wanting to do something as well as it can be done, but also about not wanting to fail. Then A in PACES stands for approval addiction. And, and again, that is as much about not wanting to disappoint people and let them down as it is about wanting people to think well of us. And then the C in PACES, and this was the one that used to bite me a lot, was need for certainty. And need for certainty is about wanting to know the outcome, wanting to know things are going to turn out well. It's about wanting to know how to do something, wanting to know the next step and the next step after that, wanting to have all the right gear or the right equipment. So it's that I'm, I can't do this until I know how to, that I've got everything, that, that I've explored every avenue. And quite often, you know, if you have this need for certainty, you'll never get started. You'll just procrastinate because you don't feel you have everything in place. And then the E in paces is ease. And that is about wanting life to be safe and secure, wanting to stay within your comfort zone. So, you know, there are all these wonderful memes about the magic happens when outside your comfort zone. Well, people who have ease as a strong trigger may never actually grow their businesses because they want to stay safe. You know, they want to stay feeling secure. And then the S in paces is one that I kind of made up and it stands for self-rule. And self-rule is all about autonomy, which shows up as don't tell me what to do. And it's all about identity, which is about how we want the world to see us. And if the world doesn't see us that way, then we can really wind ourselves up and feel that either the world isn't good enough or we're not good enough. So those five things, perfectionism, approval, certainty, ease and self-rule are the five main ways in which we create stories that get in our own way. And when we are self-aware, when we develop that self-awareness and that ability to tune into the inner radio, we can hear those stories. But we can't change what we can't hear. So that's why self-awareness is so important. We need to be able to hear that before we can get the big blue editing pencil out and rewrite that story. So for me, you know, this need for certainty, I felt that I had to have everything in place. I had to know what came next, what the next step was, that I'd done this particular program, that I had that particular CRM system, and that I had a website that did this and that. You know, I really wanted to have everything ready, and I didn't need that. I didn't need that. What I really needed to just do was pick a platform. So I chose Facebook, pick a platform and just show up on that platform. 
consistently, be yourself, be authentic and deliver value every time you go anywhere or show up anywhere, deliver value and know what your message is. And that's all you need to start with. Everything else can come later. So that I think is the advice I would have given to my younger self, (laughs) to my starting out self is you don't need to have it all in place, but you do need to get started. Yeah. That's powerful. I definitely uh, identify a few a few of those traits in myself. <laughs> yeah. Well, I've got a handout, so if anybody wants that, I'm happy to give you a, a link for that. It's on my website. It's just carolineferguson.com forward slash paces, and anyone can just go and sign up for that. No problem at all. Okay, perfect. And then also I want to mention a couple of your other links, carolineferguson.com, and then your Facebook page is Carolyn Ferguson Mindset trainer. That's right. Yes. So, and I will link that on my website as well. And then your LinkedIn is Carolyn Ferguson. That's right. And it's Carolina, C-A-R-O-L-I-N-E. It's not the American way, um, which quite often is the the YN. So carolineferguson.com. Thank you so much for coming on today. It has been so full of substance and so much to think about and process in as mentioned, I love vision and where people are going. And this is such a huge piece of that. And so it really, it's been amazing. Well, you can probably hear I'm completely passionate about it. It's endlessly satisfying doing this work and helping people to, you know, the moment where you see somebody just suddenly realize, oh my gosh, I'm doing this to myself. You know, it's so, it's such an empowering moment because they immediately start beating themselves up. But I say, no, 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 it's the best news. The fact that you can hear yourself doing it is the best news because now you can change it. Before when you couldn't hear it, you couldn't change it. So it it is, it's just endlessly satisfying work. And you know, I've really enjoyed the couple of conversations that we've had about this because I know you're fascinated by it too. Oh yeah, definitely. Well, and make sure if you're listening that you check out some of these tests and I will make sure to link all of them on my website so that you can take the tests and figure out, you know, better how to achieve your dreams and your goals. And if you want to work with Carolyn, make sure to check out her website And I want to thank you all for listening in. If you want more information about this podcast, you can go to acalltothrive.com. Thank you, everyone, and have a wonderful week.